listen to Wellman. I'm your host, David, and January is done and dusted. So we're here today to break down the best and worst movies screened here last month. January and February, their best and worst lists are always tricky since it's the busy season here at Cinema Wellman during those months as we scramble to see all of the Oscar-nominated films within the brief window between nominations and the ceremony. And since there are two more episodes uh, involving Oscars coming up, I won't be discussing any of the Oscar-nominated movies today, aside from one, which I'll explain mm, rationalize later. So even though I loved some of the Oscar-nominated movies I saw in January, American Fiction, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, among others, they'll have to wait a couple of weeks. You'll also need to wait to find out how I really felt about the latest Mission Impossible, Indiana Jones, and Guardians of the Galaxy installments. I predicted I'd hate them all, and spoiler alert, I was wrong. Let's begin, as we always do, with the worst of the month. There are a total of four films on our worst list for January, but three of them are really the same movie, so in reality, we only have two. We'll begin with a trio of post-apocalyptic, low-budget Italian road warrior ripoffs that I found on Criterion Channel of all places. I trust Criterion implicitly, so I gave these a shot. Don't worry, Criterion, I still trust you. I give you 1990, The Bronx Warriors from 1982, Escape from the Bronx from 1983, and Warriors of the Wasteland, also from 1983. (laughs) I watched these movies one Saturday afternoon, back to back to back, and the reason I'm going to talk about them as one movie is simply because they all seem to be the same exact movie. I have a feeling that director Enzo G. Castellari is the Roger Corman of Italy, which may explain why the Criterion Channel had these films as part of their post-apocalyptic sci-fi collection. These movies are bad, but like a good train wreck, it's hard to look away. Even though these were Italian productions shot mostly in Italy by an Italian director, there were a few known American actors making appearances in these movies. I I guess it was hard to turn down a paycheck and a free trip to Italy back in the early 80s. Fred the Hammer Williamson starred in two of these. Vic Morrow is in one of these. He unfortunately delivers a creepily prescient line about someone losing their head. Gulp. And always the villain Henry Silva shows up in one of these films. If Henry Silva's name doesn't ring a bell, Google him. 100% you will recognize him as, oh, that bad guy. (laughs) Probably a great person in real life. These movies were quite obviously made to cash in on the popularity of The Road Warrior from 1981. Much of the weaponry and the vehicles being used by the Templars in these films looks like it was stolen from The Road Warrior set. They even have the arm quiver for the arrows, come on, you know, make something up on your own. One of the Templar's futuristic vehicles looks like that new Tesla pickup truck aberration. So much like it that it makes me think of that lunatic saw these movies and said, yeah, what the hell, let's make that. One of these, I think it was Warriors of the Wasteland, is set in 2019. 
Those movies are always a treat. They're always way, way off with what they think we're going to have in the future. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I was promised flying cars when I was in seventh grade. Just saying. An actual line of dialogue from one of these is, Books. That's what started this whole apocalypse. Yeah, sure, people reading. That's what's going to cause the apocalypse. You may be asking what could possibly be worse than this trio of trash. Well, it's a Lassie movie from 1978, The Magic of Lassie. I want to make something very clear before I go after this kid's movie. I kind of hate Lassie movies. I really have nothing against Lassie herself. Lassie and other rough collies lack the opposable thumbs that are required for many, if not all, tasks involved with filmmaking. It's not Lassie's fault that she has appeared in so many shit movies over the years. 20, to be exact. 20. There are 20 Lassie movies. She just can't work with a poor script, bad direction, and untalented co-stars. Few actors can. And I apologize for using the pronoun she to refer to movie and TV Lassie because although Lassie is a she in every film and TV rendition, Lassie was never played by a female dog. That right there cements my loathing of Lassie movies. Picture for a second a dog universe. And in this dog universe, there are obviously dog movies. Imagine being a a little female dog and finding out, watching these movies, and finding out that Lassie was never played by a female dog. Betrayal and lies. IMDB tells us, quote, Lassie is trying to find her way home. She will have to run all the way from Colorado to California. Her loving owner is looking for her, end quote. You ever lose a dog? Did you think that experience would make a good movie? Of course not. There's only one reason I watched this, and it was because of the dreaded Best Original Song Oscar nomination. That category screws me again. This movie was so bad and unmagical that star Jimmy Stewart semi-retired from film after making this mess. I would have gladly joined Jimmy in the old actor's home after watching it. Now let's pivot and take a look at some of the best non-Oscar-nominated movies we saw here in January. Let's start with ISS from 2023. I saw this in the uh, in the AMC theaters. Remember, I'm back on the A-list, the Stubbs A-list, so I'm going to see a lot of movies. In the th- I saw eight on their dime, well, mostly their dime, in, in January, and I hope to, you know, repeat that every month. So, ISS, space thrillers are always a fun escape, even when it's not science fiction with aliens and stuff like that. Since I'm claustrophobic, all space thrillers are really horror movies. Since I can't imagine being cooped up in a tin can with nowhere to go for any amount of time, half of the payload would need to be sedatives and tranquilizers for me. In most space thrillers, there's a home for the astronauts to return to. In ISS, that might not be the case. The film takes place aboard the International Space Station and features only six characters. There are three Soviet cosmonauts, three American astronauts. Everything's going well on board when the unthinkable happens on Earth. 
a nuclear war between the two countries. Both countries then give their people the same message, take the ISS by any means necessary. I have to admit the entire movie isn't as good as its premise, but I enjoyed it anyway. Oscar winner Ariana DeBose is the lead and does a fine job with what she's given. She's quite good, and I'm not sure why we don't see more of her. Next up is an old Western comedy from the late 60s. It's The Good Guys and the Bad Guys from IMDb. An aging lawman and an aging outlaw join forces when their respective positions in society are usurped by a younger but incompetent marshal and a younger but vicious gang leader. I have to admit that I really enjoy a good Western now and then. I don't like the ones that portray Native Americans in a bad light, but I love Westerns that are about land wars and gangs of outlaws and bank robberies and all that kind of stuff. It's fantastic. The cast featured both John and David Carradine, Martin Balsam, and friend of cinema wellman Tina Louise. The aging outlaws played by George Kennedy and the aging lawman by... Robert Mitchum. They have chemistry between them that had me wondering if they were friends in real life. Now, neither Kennedy nor Mitchum were known for comedic roles. Later in his career, George Kennedy was part of the Naked Gun franchise, but little comedy before that. And yet both were quite funny at times in this film. This was rated M back in 1969, probably for the way Martin Balsam was pawing Tina Louise in a couple of scenes. That rating obviously no longer exists. Still existing? Tina Louise, who turns 91 years old on Super Bowl Sunday. Cheers. (laughs) Next up is a movie I watched on a whim and thoroughly enjoyed. It's from 2021, and it's Those Who Wish Me Dead. Angelina Jolie stars as a fire chaser, smoke jumper, survival expert who tries to protect a teenage murder witness pursued by two assassins in the Montana wilderness. Oh, and the forest they're in is on fire. I'm not an Angelina Jolie fan by any means. I don't dislike her, but I don't consider myself a fan of hers. So she wasn't the reason I watched Those Who Wish Me Dead. I'm glad I did, though, because I found it pretty harrowing and exciting at times. It reminded me a little cliffhanger in the forest, since Jolie's character has a similar backstory, but the fire sequences were pretty amazing. The production team rigged an enormous woodland set. I mean, they they cordoned off parts of a forest in Montana, which was safely set ablaze. I don't know how how safely you can do it since fire really can't be trusted, like robots. But this certainly added a realism to the film that made it more watchable. And the assassins were ruthless. Oh my goodness. I saw one of my worst nightmares in this film. And it's the old innocent person wandering into the wrong situation and getting killed, like Fargo. Remember that? Those poor people in the car that were just driving by? Oh my goodness. All right. (laughs) Next, we have a duck movie. And we love ducks here at Cinema Wellman. It's from 2023, and it's Migration. For the third year in a row, 
my family is participating in a birthday project for me. I think it's like enabling. Since I don't live nearby, I like to celebrate their birthdays with a variety of activities. It's my way of celebrating them from a distance. Two years ago, I asked for their favorite movies and favorite meals. So I watched their favorite movies and ate whatever favorite meal they decided to put in place for me. Last year, I asked for favorite TV shows and TV snacks, which I watched and consumed on their day. This year, they've been tasked with sending me to a movie playing in the theater on their birthday, along with something that is miles out of my comfort zone, their favorite fast food meal. Now, the reason I'm sharing all of this with you is that um, on the family calendar, Vanessa is first up and she sent me to see Migration after consuming a McDonald's filet of fish and fries. I enjoyed this story about a family of ducks led by an overprotective father who wants to go on an adventurous vacation. As I mentioned, I'm a fan of ducks, and this was funny and sweet. It's a funny and sweet story. It deals with family issues and, uh, and stepping out of your comfort zone like eating fast food for the first time in 15 years as part of a silly project. Uh, adventures are positive journeys no matter where you go. We have one film remaining, and it was Oscar-nominated. I said I wouldn't be discussing any nominated films in this episode, but I kind of already talked about it in episode one this season. So, I don't know. Here we go. From 2023, it's, it's not deja vu. It's Godzilla minus one. Minus color. Now, hear me out. Because this is a different movie experience. So I consider it a different movie. It reminded me of watching the Chrome version of George Miller's amazing Mad Max Fury Road. When the color is removed from these films, a new version is created that makes, makes it seem like it's a totally new film. With... Uh, Mad Max Fury Road's chrome version, where there are a lot of explosions and fire, I noticed with the chrome version in black and white, I wasn't distracted by the fire, and I paid attention to different things, including the soundtrack. I became more immersed in the soundtrack than I did when I watched the color version. So, in this one, director Takashi Yamazaki and his crew didn't simply hit the remove color button from Godzilla Minus One and put it back in the theater. The film was kind of remastered in a way in which the colors were removed and replaced with shades of black and white. The result is documentary-like footage that is as crisp and clear as a still black and white photograph. It's absolutely stunning, and it totally brings you back to 1954 in the original Gojira. I have to admit that I love the blue scales clicking into place and powering up Godzilla before he unleashes his blue atomic breath. I love that so much that I missed it in the black and white version. I was hoping they would kind of Schindler's List, the blue scales breath, although the little girl's red coat. Um, but this one is all black and white and all Godzilla. 
Well, that is a wrap from here at Cinema Wellman for the best and worst of January. We hope that you've had a good start to 2024, and we hope you'll be back with us next week for an episode that we're titling Once is More Than Enough, as we look at great films that are extremely difficult to rewatch. Until then, take care.